0: Welcome to Behind the
1: Mic with Audiophile Magazine. I'm Joe Reed. Have you ever stuck your hands into the pockets of a corpse? Perhaps not. I myself have done it on only a couple of occasions, and I can tell you that it's not always the most pleasant of occupations. Who knows what may be lurking in the crevices of the clothing? With a drowning victim, you're at risk of eels, water snakes, crabs, and so forth. And I tried to recall quickly which species of these, such as the Chinese mitten crab, had been known to make their way upstream from the tidal waters of the Thames. When it comes to crabs, you can never be too cautious.
0: That was actor Jane Entwhistle narrating Alan Bradley's The Graves of Fine and Private Place. It's the ninth book in his Flavia Deleuze series. To know Flavia is to love her. I did from the first moment I heard her brought brilliantly, almost eerily to life, by Jane Entwhistle. In the Flavia Deleuze series, Alan Bradley created a singular and clever 11-year-old sleuth who lives in 1950s England in a small town called Bishop's Lacey. There she resides on a dilapidated estate with two older sisters, Ophelia and Daphne, who always prefer that Flavia finds something to do elsewhere, and a beloved father who's a passionate stamp collector and treats his younger child with a benign neglect. Flavia, however, is undaunted. She spends her time racing around the countryside on her bicycle Gladys, or in the Victorian chemistry lab left in the house by a long-deceased ancestor. She has a flair for chemistry, a knack for poison, and a very unsentimental view about death. Skills which come in handy as she gets to the bottom of various murders that occur throughout the series. Irrepressible, endearing, and intrepid, she is a wonderful creation. A great achievement for both Alan Bradley and Jane Entwhistle, both of whom have won multiple awards for the series. And it's a remarkable achievement as well, Given that Flavia was Alan's first book at the age of sixty-eight, and Jane's first time narrating an audiobook, while Jane and Alan have corresponded over the years, they had never spoken with each other until Audiophile Magazine brought them together for this interview. I began our conversation by asking them how Flavia de entered their lives.
2: Oh my goodness! You want to hear well, all of it? As
0: much as you want to tell. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, to make a very long story, just an ordinary long one, I had taken early retirement and decided I was going to write a golden age mystery. I now call it my failed Alan Bradley mystery because uh, I got into it about one and a half chapters. And I had a scene where my heroine had to go visit an old rambling country house in England somewhere. And suddenly there appeared on the page this 10-going-on 11-year-old girl who refused to tell me what her name was. I didn't know what she was doing in the story, didn't know where she came from, not the faintest idea. And I had to stop writing. It finally registered on my retired brain that I had to figure out her name before I could write another word. So I started taking long walks, and I would dream up names, just pull names out of the air and say, is your name Olivia Ferreres? And in my mind, this unknown young woman would go, and this went on for, believe it or not, months. And one (laughs) morning, I was walking by the lake, and I said, is your name Flavia Duluth? And there was this incredible silence, and I thought, that's it, that's it. I've guessed her name. It's like Rumpelstiltskin. So I have to run home and start typing. And as I did, I realized that I had to throw away the Alan Bradley failed mystery and listen to the voice of this girl. And I had no idea who she was or what her background was. And so I went back to page one and started writing down what she said as as she jumped out of the ink pot and uh, inhabited my fingertips. And I I realized I had to just listen to her. I I mustn't try and impose Alan Bradley's feeble mind on her. She had her own mind and was quite willing to speak it. So uh, here we are now, nine books later, and I'm still listening.
0: Yes, as we all are. And we're also listening to you, Jane. How did you meet? first meet Flavia?
1: Well, I actually met her through Craigslist. I answered an ad on Craigslist looking for a, an actress who could effectively play an 11-year-old English girl. And I thought, well, hey, that's me. So I called and left a message and got an appointment and had no idea it was for Random House. And so when I showed up, I thought, oh, bloody hell, this is a bit more than I anticipated. But I went in anyway and and, um, met the producer, Janet Stark, and she said, here's the first three pages of a book called The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie. So go ahead and look at it, and when you're ready, we'll record you reading it. And I was hooked from probably the first sentence. Absolutely head over heels in love. And I thought, well, if I don't get this job, I know what book I'm going to be looking for.
0: (laughs) Now, Alan, I'm curious, when you first heard Jane, did that correspond to the Flavia you were hearing in your mind?
2: I don't know if I heard Flavia in my mind, but I I can remember when I heard Jane the first time, uh, my eyes flying open and it just couldn't stop listening to it. I think I, I gorged on the entire book in one sitting I must say this is the first time that Jane and I have ever actually talked live. We've had some email chats, but I haven't haven't talked to her before. And I I must say that she gets almost as much fan mail as I do. Oh,
1: well, that's lovely.
0: It's a wonderful combination. <laughs> well, of course I love Flavia. How do you not? She is so. Uh individual, and yet, and this is, I really, really want to talk to both of you about this, there is still something, as unlikely as she as she is, there's something so psychologically true about her, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. Several people over the years have complained about certain incidents in the um, Flavia books uh, having to do with death generally, and they, they really resent certain turns of plot and I've tried to explain individually to people, but from the outset, that it's always been in my mind that, well, plotting a story or listening to Flavia tell a story, that although Parts of it may be parts of a mystery novel. The emotions and the feelings in the books must never, ever be false. It's real life, and things happen to Flavia that do happen to people in real life. And they're not always wonderful things. They're they're often sad things or tragic things. We didn't gloss over any elements of real life. Those feelings, they're genuine. And
0: Jane... You need to sound young, but not childish. And I'm curious how you develop not just the voice, but the attitude.
1: I honestly, in full disclosure, have to say that it is not a conscious process. The closest thing I can relate it to is it's like channeling. You know, I don't sit down and think, okay, uh, if I pitch my voice this way, you know, I'll sound young, but also not immature. I mean, I'm an actor anyway. You know, I act on stage and in movies and television. And it's the same there. It's like I inhabit. It's like I give over to Flavia. She is her own person. She, She tells me what to do. You know, I just surrender to the wonderful world that you've created, Alan. I mean, it is absolutely remarkable. I just surrender to it. I step inside and then... I'm just a vehicle. And I know that sounds kind of hokey, but I really don't think I can take much credit (laughs) because it's something that happens to me.
2: It's exactly the same process by which the books are written, which is quite remarkable.
1: And I also have to
0: say the same process by which the books are read and heard, because whether I'm reading it or listening to you, Jane, this movie is just playing out in my mind, and I am in that world
1: too. Yeah, it's so rich. I cry so much. I mean, I cry anyway. I'm crying right now. I have tears down my face right now. But the the emotion, the, it's just so vivid. And unusual. Most people probably never stop to think about why our burial places are so green. But if they ever did, their faces might turn the very shade of that graveyard grass For underneath the picturesque moss and lichen, and beneath all those weathered stones, is a slowly simmering chemical stew, bubbling and burbling away in the dark earth, as our ancestors and neighbours, with the help of a little chemistry, are returned to their maker. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return, the Bible tells us. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, says the Book of Common Prayer. But both of these books, having been written mostly in good taste, failed to mention either the stinking jelly or the oozing liquids and the gaseous phases through which each of us must pass on our way to the great beyond.
0: I really would like to talk to both of you about research because, Alan, unless you know a lot about chemistry, you have to spend a fair amount of time doing research.
2: I do spend a fair amount of time doing research because I know absolutely (laughs) nothing about chemistry. Flavia gets all of her information from outdated chemistry books, which doesn't slow her down much. I have to pore over antique chemistry books, and they must predate 1928, which is the time that Uncle Tarquin died. And Flavia, of course, has no modern technical knowledge or forensic skills because they they didn't exist at the time the books are set in, which is up to 1952 so far. So no, I'm afraid I must plead guilty of uh, complete (laughs) chemical ignorance, but... It does take a lot of chemical research. And the other strange thing, uh, as Jane was talking about, this rather weird process by which the books are written. I I once said to somebody, it's spooky, the process. And sometimes Flavia helps with the chemistry. There There was a book where she had to find an antidote for cyanide poisoning using only ingredients that would be available in a dove coat. And I was completely stuck. I couldn't think, what on earth could you ever find in a dovecote besides water and droppings? And and, uh, Flavia concocted uh, an antidote for cyanide poisoning on the spot. And I can remember thinking, you can't do this, Flavia. And Flavia was just, you know, snapping her fingers saying, oh, go look it up in your spare time. And I did, and it was possible. It was an antidote to cyanide poisoning. And I didn't come up with that. Flavia did.
1: Amazing.
0: (laughs) Believe,
2: Believe it or not.
0: And Jane, you have to have these words and terms just sort of fly trippingly off the tongue. How much do you have to rehearse
1: that? Some of them quite a bit. Probably with your books, Alan, is the most research that I do. My li- my word lists are pages and pages because it's not just the chemistry. There's antiquated walls and artists and composers, lots of musical references, you know, strange facts we have to research so that does take some time to like you said have them come trippingly off the tongue the one that i remember the most that i'll probably always remember i can't remember which book it is alan but it's that town in wales it was at one point the longest word in the language you remember that town yes, in the Wa-
2: one they call land fair. yeah and
1: that <laughs> took um if you can imagine listeners take a spiral notebook the word went handwritten all on one page and then all the way across a second page. That's how long the word is. And you had it written out on the page in the book, so I had to say it. Oh it took it was just incredible. And it's it's you know, Welsh, so it's three L's, a P, an F, a W, a Y. How do you say that? I remember cursing you in the studio. I mean lovingly, of course. <laughs> And I had to do I'll make it. I'm
2: sure we have a very short uh, town name in the next book, like Bath or something. Yes, <laughs> no,
1: so I, I love the challenge.
0: <laughs> Alan, the series is set in 1950, and the style of writing really reflects that. Can you talk a little bit about that process?
2: Yes, I can. Flavia's voice is in 1950, and it's the way people spoke in 1950, and the length of sentences and paragraphs even more so, and slower than today. And some people find it too slow, but it's contemporary with the books, and that's the time they're set in, and that's the way the world was. Someone said once, gee, you're the same age as Flavia, and I'd never thought about that before, but I thought that's about right. I can remember distinctly speech patterns of people that I knew, and I grew up in a small town, not in England, but uh, people in small towns universally have the same speech patterns and rhythms, which is slower and a much longer line of thought and those are reflected in the books so i I guess it's something that you either like it or you don't like it and there seem to be an enormous number of people out there of all ages who like the same kind of quirky digressive uh, plot lines that i do people that love information and quirky facts,
0: yeah. And a heroine with a jaundiced eye, um, Jane. You for you, it's adopting a tonality that works for the modern ear, but is really signaling another era at the same time.
1: Yeah, I remember when I first started on the series that it took some getting used to, especially you referencing the long paragraphs with many, many. Um, I don't know what you call them. Digressions? Digressions, but they all are tied together. And the trick is remembering what the focus of that paragraph is and keeping that while weaving in all these other thoughts and where to place the breath because the period doesn't come for a long time. I mean, obviously there's commas and there are conjunctions that allow for the breath, but it was a learning process for me because that's not a modern thing so it was very different and it was a great learning and I I love literature I love to read I love history I love books so it was fascinating it still is I I love descending into that tone and that rhythm and the musicality of the way you write Alan you have a very distinct and wonderful musicality that I enjoy sliding into
2: Good. Thank you. Well, I enjoy writing it. It's uh, it, There is a certain rhythm about it which is very different from everyday life, that when you sit down to write, you have to relax and allow your mind to go into that long tempo. You actually wrote
0: the books, the the first book, before you visited England.
2: Yes, the first book. I visited England after the first couple of chapters were written, And uh, they won the debut Dagger Award from the Crime Writers Association, which which was one of the most wonderful things that had ever happened in my life because I was about 68 at the time. And I had a book that sold in the U.S. and Canada and England and went, went off on my first ever trip to London to receive the award. And then when I came back, I had to write the blessed book.
0: Was that book going to be a series or you just wanted to get that book finished and whatever happened happened after?
2: initially it was just the book it was just the one book but i realized when i was about halfway through it i think and i was working with the english editor and i told him at the time this is going to be more than one book because uh, there's not only this story this novel length story but there's also a very long story here which needs to be told about flavia and her family and it's going to take x number of books it was initially six books that we expanded it to, and then as I approached the sixth book, it became ten books. So uh, the current book, which is just being published now, is number nine, and I'm at work on number ten.
1: Oh, I'm so relieved, because when I was in the studio finishing The Graves of Fine and Private Place, the director, Kathy was finishing up something, and I read the acknowledgements and and you said I think something along the lines of when you get to the end of a long road like this etc etc the support and I thought the end of a road I said Kathy is this the last book and we both looked at each other in absolute horror and I burst into tears I could not be consoled I mean I'm very dramatic but but honestly (laughs) I went out into the kitchen to get some water and I was I was sobbing and there were a few people there who said Jane what on earth is wrong and I said Flavia's done and I can't bear it and then I went home cried all night and then Kathy sent me an email and she said I've just received an email from Alan and it sounds to me like there's a book 10 and I felt so relieved So I'm so happy to hear that you're working on book 10, because I can't bear it. I cannot bear it.
2: (laughs) There have been so many suggestions about what could happen. Somebody talked about doing a a book by Flavia writing at age 75 Mm. or 80 and looking back on her life. But she wouldn't be the same character, would she?
0: No, and I so appreciate you keeping her at 11, maybe 12, and not really aging her past that. Because... That age, well, first of all, we're not bothered with hormones, we're not bothered with sex, and there's also such a very particular independence, and I don't know, I don't even quite know how to describe it, but I think it's very particular of kids that age.
2: Yes, it's one of the things that to me is the most attractive thing about uh, Flavia is her enthusiasm, her absolute boundless enthusiasm and idealism. I remember as an 11-year-old boy that you could do anything. You could do absolutely anything. And uh, Flavia has that same burning eagerness and drive and I, I think that contributes a lot to her character. She's absolutely impervious to anything.
0: Yeah, and I think, Jane, you really, really nail
1: that so well the confidence that you give her. Oh, thank you. Dogger and I stood looking on as the constable, gingerly, I thought, peered under the corner of the blanket. Having satisfied himself that he was dealing with a dead body, he tugged at his jacket straightened his tie, turned to us and said, "'Yes. Well, then,' he jabbed his thumb vaguely toward the church and presumably the high street, "'I'd be obliged if you'd all step across to the oaken pheasant. "'The landlord lays on a good spread of pickled hocks and cheese, "'if you feel up to it, that is. I shall be along in due course.' "'If we felt up to it.' "'I suppose he meant to sound solicitous.' or was it supposed to be humorous? Whose leg did this village idiot think he was pulling? I had half a mind to tell him that there was nothing I loved more than gorging on cold ham while examining a particularly juicy corpse." I caught Dogger's eye before I replied. "'That's very thoughtful of you, Constable,' I said. "'I think I could stand a whiff of smelling salts about now.' Because it was expected of a girl my age, I flashed him a quick but slightly sickly grin, leaving him to work out what I meant. I know Flavia set in
0: another era, but when you were reading about Bishop's Lacey, was there anything that was familiar
1: to you? Oh, the sensibility, I think. The very Englishness of it. It felt very, very familiar. As if I'd been there.
0: In the book... It's Chimney Sweepers Come to Dust, where Flavia moves to Canada. That was very surprising for me to find her there. But Jane, for you, she's at a girls' school, and you have all
1: these different voices
0: of girls that are roughly the same age, but very different characters that you had to invent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, now here's the thing is that I lived in Canada. When we left England, we moved to first Toronto for a few years and then to British Columbia, where Alan lived. So I lived in Canada for for several years, so that helped with uh, Flavia going to Canada. And what about all the different girls' voices? First of all, the characters are so rich. They always are. You know, there's not a whole lot of creation that has to go on on my part because they're written so deeply and so richly that they all present themselves you know that's like a almost like a lineup not a police lineup but but they're all standing there clear as day in front of me with their various physical attributes and their personalities and their quirks and their opinions and so much like Flavia just appeared to Alan and told him how it was going to be, so did these girls in the girls' school. But the way they're written helps inform me of how I s- they're supposed to sound. I mean, I don't know if I get it right, but they just sort of say, hello, here I am. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between acting
0: in theater, for example, where your, your whole body can be acting? And then being in a sound booth where it really is just your voice.
1: Well, yeah, that's a great challenge because I am a physical actress. When I'm acting on stage or on, on screen, I tend to physically morph. You know, my shoulders might sag or... So bringing that into the booth is challenging, obviously, because I can't move around. But I still manage to bring some physical... For instance, Flavia's father. uh, To me, a a military man, uh, a man born probably even in the late 1800s, I imagine. Very late 1800s. Maybe the very beginning 1900s. A very rigid military controlled man. So when I do him, I sit very, very, very straight. I hold a lot of tension in my body. I put my hand on my knee and lean ever so slightly to the right, imagining this very proper man holding court with his hand on his knee, you know, and so that's how I voice him. So even though I can't move, I still bring something physical to, the, to my voice. So my body still wants to alter itself for every single character. It's an interesting thing because I'm still physically acting, and yet it's, it's the minutiae of physical acting. Right, but
0: then that all gets reflected in the voice.
1: Hopefully. That's my goal It isn't right, Ophelia," he said, "for a girl who's, for a girl your age, to be rattling about alone in an old church at night. There's nobody there but the dead." Ophelia had laughed, perhaps a little too gaily, and they don't bother me—not nearly so much as the living. Still, Father had said, "If you're coming or going after dark, you are to take Flavia with you. It won't hurt her to learn a few hymns." Learn a few hymns indeed.
0: I would just like you both to reflect about what it was like to inhabit or to be inhabited by a character like Flavia for all these years.
2: My goodness. Well, it's been life-changing for sure, because uh, prior to Flavia walking into my life and taking it over, I, I thought I was retired But since the books took off and and have been published in something like 38 languages now in 40 countries, it has demanded a lot more application on my part, and I found out that I wasn't really retired. I I don't think I would have the same life at all if it weren't for Flavia. I don't know what I would be doing, but it certainly wouldn't be as exciting or, or as refreshing.
0: And does she still take you by surprise?
2: Always, From one tick of the clock to the next, I don't know what Flavia is going to do. And sometimes she surprises me so much that I fall out of the writing mode. I I just almost fall on the floor (laughs) laughing. And my wife will will shout from the next room, what's Flavia done now? (laughs) She doesn't think the way I think at all, so um, she's much brighter than I am, and she comes up with things that that would never, ever cross my mind, so she's a constant surprise and a constant delight. And Jane, what about for you?
1: (sighs) Well, first of all, Flavia will always inhabit my life, I think, and... Oh, see, I'm going to cry. Flavia changed my life, quite literally. Sorry, I'm always a crier. So bloody dramatic. The first book I ever narrated was a was Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie, ever. I didn't know that I wanted to be an audiobook narrator. I had no idea. I didn't even know that was an option. Always wanted to be an actress, and I loved to read. I was an only child for most of my life. I got siblings later on in my teenage years and it was books 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 just lived in books all through my childhood I have a hard time discerning what was my childhood and what was thinking this happened and then oh wait no that wasn't my childhood that was actually a book I read (laughs) so when I fell into was actually led by the nose into uh, this world of narrating audiobooks I was absolutely astonished and had no idea that that would become, you know, a major part of who I am and what I do. And it was, it was Flavia that led me there. It really was. Absolutely changed my life. And I love her.
2: It was wonderful that you won a Voice Arts Award for your narration of Flavia. I still have people writing to me about that. In fact, I had one this morning.
0: Oh, that's nice. And you've won so many earphone awards from Audiophile Magazine, too.
1: Yes, I have. Thank you, Audiophile Magazine. And I get wonderful notes from people. People stopping to email and send a note talking about how Flavia's, you know, changed them effectively, too. So, oh, I love her with all my heart. I find it very hard to believe that she's not real. Yes, I agree. Well, I want to thank you
0: both. It really has been such a pleasure for me to speak to you both, but also such a pleasure to both read and listen to Flavia and her adventures. So thank you both for giving her to me.
2: Thank you for the opportunity of speaking to you and your listeners. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry I cried. Oh, not at all.
2: (laughs) Thank you. It's been great, Jane. Thank you for everything. And do keep in touch. I
0: will. Thank you. That's writer Alan Bradley and actor Jane Entwistle. Jane is the voice of Alan Bradley's Flavia Deleuze series. The ninth book is called The Graves of Fine and Private Place. You can read reviews about this book, about all of the Flavia books, and hundreds of others at audiophilemagazine.com. This has been Behind the Mic with Audiophile Magazine. I'm Joe Reed. Good listening.